Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 125, the new remote pilot certificate, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. This is Carl Valeri with the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting here at Lakeland Linder Airport at the Polk State Aerospace Campus. And it's actually in a brand new building. First time I've been in this conference room, and I am here joined by Dr. Ryan Wallace. Dr. Wallace, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, Carl. Let's do the pre-flight. You know, uh, before we get started, we're going to talk a little bit about something that's that's really exciting and something I've had a, a little bit of experience with just because I was introduced to it yesterday. And we're going to talk about unmanned aircraft. But before we get we begin that, uh, if you have any questions, comments about this episode, you can contact us at contact at stuckmikeavcast.com or go to stuckmikeavcast.com and hit the contact button. We need uh, all the feedback we can get. There's going to be a lot of questions, and you're going to be interested in, in wanting to know why we're talking about this today, this topic. And I haven't introduced it yet, but I will. Also, don't forget to uh, visit our sponsors, aerospacescholarships.com, aerospacescholarships.com. There's money for everybody out there for training for private instrument commercial. Also, if you want to get into aerobatic training, gliding, or balloons. So check that out, aviation maintenance technician, etc. at aerospace scholarships.com again aviation careers podcast.com is our other sponsor and they have uh, coaching and also the, obviously the scholarships interview prep and also resume review now entering cruise flight well, let's get on with the show uh guys you know one of the things that's been happening lately in the world and we we can't ignore this is that there's a lot of aircraft flying that aren't manned or, or don't have anybody inside them, and those are unmanned aircraft systems and uh, UAVs, et cetera. We've heard about them uh, in the military, uh, but now we're seeing more and more in the civilian world. Uh, there's been quite a bit of growth, and I know, Ryan, you've, you've actually been, uh, been following this quite closely and have a, a keen interest in it. How much growth has there been, actually, in the past few years? Well, that's a great question, Carl. The truth is uh, everything we know up to this point is all in estimates. Uh, the FAA, just to give you some some numbers for the long-term estimates, that the UAS platforms are going to grow to about 7 million by 2020. Uh, that's 4.3 million hobby and recreational uh, unmanned aircraft system platforms and 2.7 million commercial uh, application platforms. So it's really uh, it's really growing, and uh, it's it's the new biggest thing on the block, Carl. You know, a lot of us talk about recreational flying, and this podcast is about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. UAS actually opens up that world of aviation to everybody, even if uh, you, you can't get out there and fly that day. You're flying something using the skills of a pilot by, by manipulating the controls, which I think is a lot of fun. But there's more to it than just that, and and that's what we're going to get into in, in just a minute here. But let's let's back up. You know, I know I know there's this big uh, surge towards unmanned aircraft systems, uh, UAVs, 
But we've seen in the news quite a bit, uh, and, and I don't know if, if it's actually true or not, that there's, there's a lot more interaction with aircraft and unmanned aircraft systems. Uh, do you feel that we're looking at a, a increased hazard, or do you feel things are getting better amongst the knowledge of those operating UAS and those not, knowledge of those operating aircraft? Well, that's a pretty difficult question to answer right off the cuff, Carl. Um, I can tell you that based on the FAA's data, they are suggesting um, about 100 times a month, 100 separate incidents of uh, UAS and aircraft visible encounters. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the UAS uh, hit an aircraft, but it was close enough for uh, the pilot to visibly see an unmanned aircraft or what they perceive as an unmanned aircraft. So obviously that's a little concerning. And, you know, I, I think that's an important point to make because we don't know in these encounters whether they were a quote-unquote near miss or if they just this encounter with somebody seeing a, an unmanned aircraft system or if they actually were looking at an unmanned aircraft system. Uh, you know, I think in the future, though, we're going to have more knowledge. I think in the future you're going to be able to recognize those systems just through electronic controls and also electronic pings, et cetera, any type of – like a a transponder, say, on these aircraft. So I think we're going to see more of that in the future. You're also going to see, in my opinion, that we're going to see more operators of those unmanned aircraft systems actually taking a little more control and be more responsible with their systems. I will say that I know you've heard it on this podcast before from other people on the show uh, that we've heard of some irresponsible use of unmanned aircraft systems. We don't want to focus on that. We want to focus on the, on the, the good aspects. We want to focus on those things that UAS can do for us. And I think that's really, really important. But what's really cool about unmanned aircraft systems is the fact that we don't uh, risk life or limb when we're doing on certain missions. Uh, but we also do it for fun. I mean, it, it really is cool to go out there and and look at things from this perspective that only a few people can and say you you, you don't want to go out and get your pilot's certificate you want to go out there and and actually fly without even getting your pilot certificate. You can almost do it right here virtually. I think the other interesting thing about unmanned aircraft systems that makes them truly unique is not only the fact that you're not risking life on an aircraft to do it, but you also gain the potential to perform certain applications more efficiently, more cost-effectively, and uh, even faster in many cases. Yeah, I like the fact that faster is a, is a good point. Also, uh, the the one thing that, that I've seen a growth in the military side is the, the use of U, UAVs uh, for actually deploying materials, and I think that's really cool. I mean, you're, again, we're not risking life, but also you're able to take off real quick and have it ready to go. You don't. You still need a crew. I mean, you still need people to be ready at the ready, uh, but you're, you're doing this from a remote location, and, uh, and you're also doing it with, with a, a larger group of people. In other words, you can actually have a larger group in a certain location to actually operate these aircraft remotely as opposed to having them deployed in a specific location. You just need the aircraft, basically, to be deployed there with maintenance, et cetera, which is something we'll get into. It's kind of interesting, I thought. Um, moving on to where we're looking at for our audience. You know, most of our audience here are, are people that are into the, the fun aspect of flying. Nothing's really changed, has it? We're going to go into some of the rules about FAR 107, which I'm going to introduce in a second. But but if you're you're flying recreationally, you're still going to have to comply with those rules flying recreationally. They're going to roll those into some other rules, and we'll talk to, about that in a second. What we're going to focus on today is the possibility of you taking your pilot certificate. Most people listening today have their pilot certificate and possibly be able to use that for a business 
or to become somebody that operates a UAV and gets paid to do it. And I think that's a lot of fun. Absolutely, Carl. I mean, it, it seems to make sense that the limited requirements to transition that pilot certificate into a, a money-making opportunity like a, a way, what they call the remote pilot uh, for the small UAS systems, um, is, it's, it's, a, it's a great thing. So before before you hit stop on the on this podcast, remember that you don't have to be a commercial pilot, do you, to make money in the U.S.? Absolutely not. The only requirement uh, right now, if you use your pilot certificate as the mechanism t- to go after the remote pilot certificate, uh, is that you are anything other than a student pilot. So that includes recreational pilots, sport pilots, private pilots, and so on. And that opens you up to be able to conduct commercial operations once you uh, transition that into uh, what they call the remote pilot operator certificate. And we'll right. talk about more. Uh, yeah, yes, definitely. More. So, again, we're, we're, we've already discussed the fun aspect. Uh, you can make money with this. You also can use it in the educational environment. Those, I guess, are the three main uh, different areas that we would we talk about UAS. But remember, the fun part actually is incorporated to all the others, the education and also the commercials. So don't, it, there isn't just that exclusive fun. Everything's fun, right? Absolutely. So let's go back now to, you know, what is it that is an unmanned aircraft system? We've, I know we always hear UAVs and drones, et cetera, but what, what is a UAS? Well, I, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up, Carl. UAS kind of implies the holistic system. So we're not talking about just the vehicle. You probably heard the term UAV or unmanned aerial vehicle. That is just the device that actually uh, is operating in the air. Whereas the unmanned aircraft system, we're talking about also the, the ground components, the sensor components, the controls, and so on. And so it, it looks at it holistically like a system. So, okay, that means that my model airplane that I fly is a UAS? You could technically call it a UAS, absolutely. Right. And it's, I'm glad you brought that up because we're really starting to see kind of a blending between what is really a UAS and an RC aircraft. And what it really comes down to really comes down to how you use it. Right. And what's interesting is, uh, along with some of the listeners right now, that's how I got involved in aviation. I actually was flying model aircraft, started getting into it more and more. It was getting more expensive. I said, hey, I want to fly the actual aircraft and be up there. And now we're seeing that push going back to the model aircraft and the UAS systems, which I think is really cool. I'm really excited about it. The um, applications. Let's, let's talk a little bit about application as far as the UAS systems. Uh, we all think that really the UAS is for taking photos and that's what we see on the internet we see that on YouTube etc and uh, but there's many many other applications for unmanned aircraft systems and the ability to actually use that in a, in a commercial market can you give us a couple ideas as to what they can use a UAS for absolutely we're starting to see some very creative utilizations of unmanned aircraft systems and obviously videography and media tends to be the most common but also marketing we can see them used for disaster relief environmental and climate uh, monitoring a great example NASA uses uh, an unmanned aircraft system to actually fly into hurricanes where they're measuring uh, atmosphere pressures and determining uh, you know what's happening with the hurricanes rather than hand, uh, sending in the hurricane hunters, which is obviously a manned aircraft. Uh, we see them used potentially for inspection purposes. For, for example, if you need your roof inspected, rather than send someone up on a ladder that is a potential danger on your, your roof, you can actually send a UAS up to take high-fidelity photos and evaluate uh, you know what kind of damage you might have even on your roof. I can appreciate that. I, I actually am a little bit afraid of heights, so I'd, I'd rather have the UAS go up there and take some pictures. But continue on. What other 
other applications might we have? Law enforcement is actually starting to see some interesting applications with UAS as well With uh, when it comes to accident reconstruction, uh, also criminal reconstruction of certain instances, and, and also um, in some rare cases the, the use of it to assist SWAT members or law enforcement officers in making good tactical decisions. And uh, they've used it up in Grand Forks, North Dakota on uh, testing bases and so on to be able to use it in, in a more tactical function. You know, I think it is really cool is I saw on the news, I can't remember when this was, but they actually used it to find somebody. The search and rescue aspect of it is amazing. Uh, it's just, just phenomenal what it can do and where it can go where certain other vehicles, quote-unquote, cannot. Absolutely, and I think the thing to remember here is that the applications of UAS are limited only by the creativity of those designing the system and finding new and different ways of using it. You know, I think we truly are in the golden age of unmanned aircraft systems and and, and unmanned flight. Uh, I know I wrote an article on it years ago, but I, I really am excited about this. It's funny because uh, people are like, well, we're talking about pilots here. You know, why should we get excited about UAS? And, and I think that any type of aerial application I think is important, whether it's for fun, photography, et cetera. Uh, we love things that fly. We love to be in those things. We love to experience those things that are flying, uh, whether we're in it or not. And uh, we just love all things aviation, don't we, Brian? Absolutely, Carl. The, uh, the one thing that I, I'd like to stress, too, is there's also this educational environment. Uh, that's something that, you know, we're here at Polk State College right now. There's, there's a lot of research being done with UAS, there's, there's a, and I know you have a keen interest in this, and a lot more schools are looking at the possibility of incorporating those in, into a program. Have you guys thought about doing that here at Polk State College? Obviously, we're doing everything we can to evaluate the aviation market and determine how we can best support it, and UAS is going to be a big part of that. And so, uh, obviously, it's definitely on our radar. Yeah. You know, I, I know somebody who's listening right now that wants to get in aviation as a business. Uh, this is a great way to do it if you have your private pilot certificate. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. The um, So now... One of the reasons we're sitting here talking, other than the fact that UAS are really cool and it's fun to watch and uh, fun to actually manipulate, is the fact that there's some rules that have changed recently, okay? And there's a there's an FAR uh, Part 107, okay, that not too many people know about. But we but before this, we've we've talked a little bit with some other guests about the the 333, okay? So first, let's back up. We had a guest on talked about the 333. What is that? That 333. It's an Great question, Carl. So 333 was a section of the FAA's Modernization and Reform Act of 2012, and it was really the the only allowance up to that point that allowed commercial applications of unmanned aircraft systems. And so what it did is it allowed the uh, Secretary of Transportation to make an evaluation on a case-by-case basis to determine if a UAS system was uh, going to be able to operate in the national airspace system safely. And again, it was a case-by-case basis. You probably heard about people applying for a 333 exemption, and usually they would be horror stories of it taking an enormous amount of time to get approval for. Uh, So the good news is that for the most part, for most uh, unmanned aircraft systems today, Part 107 eliminates that painful Section 333 application process with the exception of UAS aircraft that are over 55 pounds. Uh, and we'll get to that. That's a, that was, a, that was a, a little teaser there. Part of this, this FAA Modernization and Reform Act also uh, talks about public aircraft, right? It also talks about uh, rules for model aircraft. That was something else that I think that uh, us as pilots were interested in is how about the folks that are operating model aircraft? Uh, you know, how about them? Do they have rules that they need to comply with? And that actually has been 
placed into this reform act, correct? Absolutely. And and so one of the big concerns when UAS first started uh, you know taking to the scene here was that uh, RC aircraft or model aircraft operators were very concerned that their um, freedom to operate was going to be trampled on because uh, to be honest, they'd been operating for decades without really any difficulty uh, and not causing any sort of uh, chaos in the national airspace system. And there was a, a keen interest in protecting that particular aspect of aviation, the RC or model aircraft aviation. So they're going to operate in certain bounds, which we always have. I mean, I've been in model rocketry, model airplanes, and we've always operated responsibly, and that's going to continue. It's more spelled out. It's in the rules now. So we, we know what our bounds are. We always have. We'd have. We've had rules out there within the industry, within the model aircraft industry, as to how to operate. These are This is kind of moving it up and moving it up a notch here. It is. Uh, it's moving it up a notch, but it's not really – really any more restrictive than it used to be. And that's important to know. I think a lot of people think that, oh, no, I'm going to lose that. I'm going to lose my ability to fly recreational uh, unmanned aircraft or hobby aircraft, and they aren't. They're not going to lose that because a lot of folks that are listening are into that. I, I know friends that actually compete in it, and they love it. I think the key is the guidance became a little more clear. Yes, that's it That's the biggest change. It really, it really has. So now there's this this new, quote-unquote, rule. Uh, FAR, it, it's CFR 107, I say, Part 14, CFR. 107. It's called the small UAS rule, S-U-A-S. We'll, we'll use that term, S-U-A-S, a lot. So this actually came out just recently. That was on June of uh, June 21st, 2016. What in the world is this S-U-A-S rule? Because there's a lot of folks that have no clue what it is. Right. So this is the long-awaited rule that uh, everyone's been waiting for, and it's the first permanent regulation that addresses small unmanned aircraft systems, again, small being anything under 55 pounds. So that's the key there. And it also codifies the operational rules as well as uh, what a person can do with an, uh, an unmanned aircraft system, whether it's uh, commercial applications or hobby uh, applications, if you will. But primarily for commercial applications is why we're concerned about this new rule. So there's a limit. It's under 55, and I think it was above 0.55. That's correct, Carl. So greater than 0.55 pounds and under 55 pounds is what applies in the uh, Part 107 rules. Okay. So what what are if if I'm flying recreationally, what are some of the restrictions I'm looking at then? Well, when you're talking about flying for fun, you actually really don't fall under the Part 107 rules. The key is you still fall under Section 336 of the FAA's Modernization Reform Act, which is really you're operating that aircraft much like a model aircraft. So that's the key. Um, There obviously are some limitations. One of the big limitations is uh, the FAA, how they interpret compensation. So compensation is a big no-no when flying under those rules for hobby and recreational purposes. And uh, the FAA uses the broadest definition of compensation possible. So uh, just make sure that if you're doing that, don't fly for any money. Or for anything. So if I want to fly for fun and someone's going to give me a box of chocolates, I'm going to, that's compensation. That would be considered compensation by the FAA, yeah. absolutely. And by the way, I do work for chocolate. Just putting that out there, Hershey's. Uh, but, but going forward, though, there's, there's also um, an organization, I, I forgot to mention, the Academy of Model Aeronautics, of course. Uh, there's so many members out there that are also listening to this today. What a re- really neat organization. But uh, you really, if you want to look at, the, the rules of the road, I like to call them, and, and understand how to operate responsibly. 
you want to look there. But uh, I don't want to get too far off of, of uh, UAS and, and Part 107 and what we're doing here with Part 107. What if I am a, an operator and I want to make sure that I don't get in trouble, uh, whether it's for fun or, or Part 107? Are there any tools that the FAA has as far as I know operating in airspace, that, that, that type of thing? Is there something, a tool that, that, we, that we have? Absolutely, Carl. So one of the best tools out there is called the Before You Fly application. And this is uh, an app that's available both for Android and the iOS systems that you can download on your, your phone or your iPad. And uh, you can actually visually see the location that you're in it's gps enabled and based on the location you're at it can tell you exactly what the restrictions are so if for example you try to fly it near an airport it's going to flag and say hey you can't fly it here uh, or it'll also advise you of all the restrictions associated with the airspace that's near you so that's a pretty important application to have so is this something I could put stuff into and say, hey, I'm flying my UAS? Is that something I can do in the future and say, hey, I'm going to go fly over here? I mean, yeah, you can actually pre-plan your missions, if you will, or pre-plan your flights, and it'll warn you about certain things along the way that you might want to be concerned about. Well, that's cool. So this 107 is, uh, you know, we, we look to make sure that we're safe. We also, we're here in an educational environment here. We're at the college. This part 107 really does not apply to education it does it well and and that's actually a good thing carl um one of the things that the fa did in early may is they came out with a legal interpretation that said most educational activities for example demonstration flights as well as instructor use of uh, unmanned aircraft systems in the classroom where the students are operating that uas is actually considered a hobby and recreational use and that's really good because it, it there was some pretty significant limitations otherwise where you know a college or a high school if they wanted to previously operate UAS really would have to go out and get a, a 333 exemption at the time which was particularly painful so now the FAA has kind of rolled back those rules for educational purposes uh, under certain limited circumstances so this is a question that I, I've gotten a few times so that means that for if I'm under an educational banner such as a university I can start teaching UAS classes can I not well, it's sort of yes and no. So um, technically, yes, but they specifically forbid the flight instruction aspect of it. And the other key, and we really don't know how the FAA is going to interpret this yet, but they call it a de minimis instructor intervention. So in other words, the instructor can't be the primary operator of the unmanned aircraft. The uh, student actually has to be the primary operator. So kind of some interesting sub-rules that go into that. So from an email from a listener, let's, let's, let's answer this one right now. If I want, or this email came in, says, I want to set up a school, and I'm going to start teaching people how to fly UAS. So I can do that under the educational rules, can I? Well, uh, no. So um, it's interesting, and, and again, it'll be interesting to see how the FA enforces it. One of the things that they put into the interpretation was accredited uh, educational institutions. So we would assume that that means a traditional accreditation either for like a high school or a college. So, again, you're flying for money is what you're doing there. Exactly. So, okay, now let's get to the meat and potatoes of this. Let's get to the, to the I want to fly for money. So there's a couple ways I can do that right now. Is the 333 and there's the 107. Absolutely. Okay. And we already talked a little bit about the, the 333 and, and the exemption there. Is there anything else we want to discuss on the 333? Well, I think the most important thing to remember about 333, which may be a little confusing, is yes, they are still in effect. They are. So when you're issued a 333 exemption, you're also issued a COA, or Certificate of Authorization, which is permission to operate in a certain area under certain conditions. If operators that currently have a 333 exemption want to continue to operate under the rules that their 333 exemption was granted, they can do so until it expires. 
And uh, usually those COAs expire within two years of issuance. So we're going to see some 333 operators continuing to operate under those rules. The only problem with 333 in my mind is you have to keep renewing it. That's true. That's true. And, it, you know, it's very unlikely at this point that the FA will continue to renew those existing 333 exemptions if they have the ability to fall under the new Part 107. Interesting. So you're going to see more people come under the, the 107. So let's talk about 107. Uh, flying for hire under 107. What are some of the things that I need to know? A quick summary as to Part 107 and what I can do to fly for hire. Well, I think the biggest things, uh, it is a permanent rule. It does allow commercial operations. Um, and there's a, a few things that the FAA really did well in this rule. Um, first of all, they created a new cert- certification called the Remote Pilot Certificate Certification. It's available to anyone uh, at the age of 16. So they actually uh, put the age restriction relatively low. Uh, there's no medical certificate. We were wondering whether or not the medical was going to be required, but the FAA elected that, uh, you know, it, it really wasn't necessary for this type of operation. However, the pilots will self-certify that they're uh, medically qualified to fly. And there's also uh, no airworthiness certification. We didn't know if that was going to be a thing either. But again, it falls on the operator to make sure that the platform they're operating is airworthy for flight. So there's a couple of pretty important things uh, to note. So a person who's 16 years old could actually become a commercial operator. They could. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. You know, you're looking at your student pilot certificate. Why not go get your your UAS, your, your new certification, remote pilot certificate, I should call it. Right. I should start using that term. Your remote pilot certificate under F, it's 107 SUAS remote pilot certificate, I guess is the full term. Right. Okay. So we, and it's, that's a mouthful. You know, so <laughs> so my you know, I tell people I get my FAR one hundred seven SUAS remote pilot certificate, and I actually am working on this, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But it's a, it's an interesting process. Um, you're, there's there's a couple things here. Let's let's talk first about the certificate itself. Sure, for, for me, the pilot. So, what do I need to do? To get the remote pilot certificate, I know there's a couple pathways. There are a couple pathways. So for those that don't currently hold an airman certificate, so uh, you know a traditional pilot certificate like a sport pilot or recreational pilot, private pilot, etc., uh, the traditional route is you go to an FAA testing facility, just like you would uh, to take a, a private pilot written exam or a written exam for any of the other certificate levels, and you can actually take an exam that is centric on the small UAS rules and some of the operational uh, procedures for SUAS. And upon completion of that, after going through some additional wickets using the IACRA system, and I apologize for the, uh, the acronym, but using the FAA's application system for airman certificates uh, and some validation pieces where you actually get vetted by the TSA and so on, you're issued a permanent uh, remote operator certificate, and you can use those privileges for up to two years. You know, I think a lot of people are concerned about that other part you talked about, the TSA vetting um, from what I've heard, I'd like you to back me up on this. It seems like the FAA says it's going to take like about 10 days or so. Is that about right? Is that what you're hearing? Well, I'll be honest. I, I haven't heard anything specific to the length of time the TSA will take for vetting. I can tell you that the vetting process is going to be comparable to an airman certificate vetting. Okay, just like the student pile certificates now. Correct. Yeah, okay. So so you do this through through the IACRA, through the online system, or you can also print the form out and go in person, and that that still works. This knowledge testing, uh, is that actually, I, I haven't been able to do the research yet, but is that available at the testing centers yet? Do you know? I don't believe so. Um, we're, we're expecting that the knowledge test will roll out when the rule officially becomes active, and the official rule date is August 29th. August so 29th. that's when we expect everything to be rolled out and ready to go. Okay, cool. Well, it actually is rolled out in one spot. We'll talk a little bit about that. What if you, now we talked about 
for people that don't have a pilot certificate. I'm a private pilot. Can I actually transition to a remote pilot certificate under 107 for the small UAS? You can. And so there's a big advantage if you already hold an airman certificate because they, they expect that if you hold an airman certificate, you have a certain level of knowledge to begin with. So they kind of give you a, a simplified method of getting a remote, op, uh, remote pilot certificate. And so what you do is you go on to the FAA Safety Team website. There is a course that you can take on that FAA Safety Team website, uh, and it's the small UAS course. And upon completion of that course, again, with some ACRA-based paperwork, you can be issued uh, a, um, a remote pilot certificate. And the advantage of doing that is obviously you're not paying the uh, traditional expense that you would at an FA testing center like you would if you didn't have a pilot certificate. And it's more of an online-based course. Uh, and I understand that you've already taken that course, Carl. Well, actually, I have. We were just, I'm just pulling out my certificate. I just passed this last night. Uh, I knew we were getting together for this interview, and I was really interested in this. I do want to get my, my remote pilot certificate for the small unmanned aircraft systems. Uh, underneath that, that Fast Team website, as you know, I'm a lead representative, and I think, Ryan, you also are here in the Orlando FISDO for the FAA safety team, the Fast Team. Uh, we're vol- both volunteers for this. We can actually help you find this online. It's really easy. Go to fasafety.gov, and what you'll do is take this course. It is a, I thought it was really cool, and I was really excited about it. And I said, "Oh, you know, I'll get this done." And then I noticed it was a two-hour-long course. And I was like, "Oh boy, this is going to be this is going to be easy." And sure enough, I had people visiting. It took me a little longer than two hours, actually, to be honest with you. But remember, the course is two hours. Then you have to actually do an exam afterwards. What's really cool is the course focuses on the things you need to know for the unmanned aircraft systems and SUAS uh, outside the FAA regulations, because you it's assumed you know the FAA regulations. The other cool thing I've, I'd have to say is one of the better things the FAA has done on this website. It also incorporates, if you want to, you can take this as someone that doesn't have a pilot certificate to prepare yourself for the written exam. There's, there's a, you do the course, you take quizzes along the way, then there's a review of all the rules you need to know for your pilot certificate if you don't have one. In other words, all the airspace rules, et cetera, weather, that type of thing, which I didn't take. Okay, I didn't do that because I already have my pilot certificate. Uh, if I hadn't flown in a while, maybe I, maybe I would have. And then I went on and took this exam, this written exam, and now I understand why they have that sec- separate portion for those that don't have a pilot certificate. There are questions on that test that are specific towards people that have their pilot certificate. So even if you're going to go take this written exam, this is a free review to go take that written exam. So go on there, fasafety.gov. Yes, you can register on there. Anybody can register. So make sure you go on there and check it out. It's also important to note, Carl, and I don't think we talked about this before, but if you have a an existing airman certificate, you do have to be current with your flight review. It's one of the provisions that they put in there. So got to watch out if you're uh, you know, a pilot like me that doesn't fly a lot, that if you've let your uh, flight review lapse in the last 24 months, then uh, obviously you're going to need to accomplish that. Otherwise, you're back to taking it at F- the FAA testing center. So I'm, I'm really glad you've plugged that because one of the things that I really think is important is for people to, uh, and I don't think you purposely did that, but it's for people to go to the fasafety.gov and, and do a, a, a phase of the wings program because what does the wings program do it actually substitutes for a flight review and when you get that you're going to fill out the iacra form online you're going to go find a flight instructor you can find a flight instructor to do this a designated pilot examiner or you can go to the fa to get this small uas certificate but 
if you print it out, because I think in the rules it designates you have to have completed a flight review. Correct. Now, in that completion of the flight review, some people may not remember that the wings actually is a substitute. Well, when you print your certificate, the really cool thing is there's a portion in there that says that you've met the requirements of the 6156 flight review by virtue of having satisfied a portion of the wings. So make sure you take that with you. Make sure it's been done in the past 24 months also. When I think, you know, one of the cool things about this, Carl, is the FAA really did, a, in my opinion, a very good job of rolling this out. Obviously, they, they had to. And the reason is, is because this is the only mechanism by which they are preparing UAS operators to be able to operate in the national airspace system, being that there's no flight test. So uh, they, they really had to get this one right, and I feel they did. Yeah, I think they did a great job. The only thing I, I want is I want my ACRA form out there. If you're listening to this right now, it may have changed, but if you go on that FAA's website and they go to the IACRA form and you fill out your certificate, it's not there. To go and get your UAS certificate right now before August 29th, if you want to pick up your certificate, you actually have to go out and fill out the 8710-1 and you bring it into the FISDO. This new form is called the 8710-13 for the small UASS. It's not out there yet. I know you, you can look at all the forums online. You'll see that forums online and you'll see that that has been the biggest complaint that it's not there yet. But uh, other than that, I, I understand they probably don't want to start processing these right now. Well, and obviously everyone's waiting on bated breath for this to happen. So yeah. uh, you know, some people are jumping the gun a little bit, but you know, it's very exciting at this point. Yeah, that, that, for sure, that's me. So now I've, I've, I did this. I went online. I took the test. I have my flight review in hand. Uh, there's also some other rules that we have to know about as far as flying. So let's, go, let's review some of those things. All right, a couple of big gotchas. Uh, obviously, the aircraft or the UAS that you're operating has to be less than 55 pounds. That's what constitutes a small UAS. Uh, can't fly any more than 100 miles an hour. And uh, it has to be operated within line of sight. Now, some people you know, have different ideas of line of sight. The FAA estimates that it's about a mile, but really what it means is unaugmented line of sight. That means that you can use your prescription eyeglasses if you have them, but you can't use things like uh, point of view. So, for example, the camera on your UAS will transmit back uh, a picture. You can't use that picture on uh, your control device to be able to operate it or visibly see it. Uh, you can't use binoculars or anything of that nature. So line of sight really does mean line of sight. Uh, additionally, they established a uh, weather visibility minimum of three, uh, three miles, so there has to be a certain level of visibility. Uh, 400 feet above ground level, which is interesting because it's 400 feet uh, AGL, but it also accounts for any obstacles. So within 400 feet of an obstacle, you, you also can go 400 feet above that obstacle as well. So horizontally 400 feet, you can go 400 feet vertically above. A firm. Okay. All right. Good. And there's some more. Absolutely. So uh, ideally speaking, in Class G airspace, that operation is relatively unrestricted as long as you uh, adhere to the previously uh, mentioned rules. But you have to get permission to operate in other controlled airspace such as B, C, D, and E. And so there'll be eventually an online portal that you will submit your request to the FAA to be able to operate in those controlled airspaces. We don't know what it's going to look like yet in terms of the uh, response time. We hope it's going to be short. The FAA suggests it's going to be short, um, but we'll, we'll just have to wait and see at this point so they're they're going to actually do that but you can go ahead and talk to the controlling agency right now like tampa tower or lakeland tower and ask them uh but i, I tell you that's not, probably not the best way to do it right away because if you've ever tried to get in a real busy airspace you, you're 
kind of going to interrupt them. I know we did a video last episode about flying into Chicago O'Hare, but if you notice on that video, they were able to get them in because they weren't overly busy, and they did their due diligence, and they contacted the controlling agency prior. True. Now, the FAA specifically says under the 107 rules, don't contact the controlling agency. Use that uh, SUAS portal for that permission. So obviously the rules kind of shifted a little bit with 333 exemption vice, uh, these new 107 rules. And that portal is not actually up and running yet. It is not. Again, we're expecting that August 29th, that's when everything is going to be available, hopefully. Cool. So so hopefully that'll be in place. I'm assuming if it isn't that we're going to probably operate under the 333 type rules where we actually contact the agency. Hopefully it's working by then. Right. Well, I, I have every expectation that they're going to meet this <laughs> deadline. A uh, couple other gotchas. Obviously, if there's damage caused by the UAS and they estimate $500 worth of damage, it is a reportable event to the FAA. Uh, we can't operate the unmanned aircraft system from a vehicle or an aircraft. That's a big no-no. Uh, there are some provisions for you to operate from a vehicle in particular if you're in a remote area. We haven't really identified what that means yet, but the FAA says, well, we're, we're going to be flexible in some cases. So that is a waiverable provision. Um, and external loads. So you've probably seen the whole Amazon idea that they're going to start delivering packages and whatnot. It looks like that's actually going to be a potential with uh, under this rule. So external load operations are okay as long as the cargo is secured and the whole apparatus, including the package, is less than 55 pounds and uh, the device can still be adequately controlled. So it looks like Amazon is uh, they're going to be taken off here pretty quick, you think? Uh, so, so maybe my coffee is going to be delivered by a drone next time, isn't it? That would be pretty cool. <laughs> it would be. You still have to comply with those line of sight rules, so that would be interesting what happens there. Absolutely. How about going from Florida to Georgia? Well, right now, uh, as, as the rule reads, there's no interstate transportation uh, allowed with the UAS. And, and to be honest, with small UAS systems, I mean, it's not really practical anyway. I mean, you're looking at most systems, especially the electrical systems, uh, that last you about 20 to 25 minutes when you're talking a, a rotocraft. And you know, as you get into the uh, fixed-wing platforms, I mean, you have a little bit more range. But generally speaking, it's not really practical. So I don't see that as being a big issue. You know, let's go back to what you talked about uh, operating from another vehicle. The other thing to that rule that's important to know is that I know that airplanes are vehicles, but we can't operate. Right. Big no-no. Big (laughs) no-no. Don't operate from, uh, from obviously, an aircraft. And they don't want you to operate a swarm either. So if you're familiar, if you've heard the idea of swarming where you have one operator controlling several UAVs, that's also a big no-no. So what's interesting is I think the best example that I can use as far as being able to operate from a a vehicle uh, would be like work that I've done for NOAA where we go out and spot whales or something, and you're out on the water using a boat to get out there to spot the the manatees, dolphins, or whales in sparsely populated areas. I think that's a good example. Yeah, that's a good example. I could also see, you know, if you're an agricultural uh, specialist, for example, and, you know, you're you're in your truck and you're chasing the UAV while you're trying to, uh, you know, I don't know, use it for aerial application or something, that would be probably another example. But it is a provision that could be waiverable if you apply for the waiver. And that's interesting because people say, well, I can't fly over the White House. Actually, you can. If you get a waiver, good luck with it. But uh, and there's not too many people that can. But uh, but you can get a waiver to do anything you want. Anything that's under these provisions, well, any certificate, you can actually get a waiver for, can't you? Sure. Now the interesting thing is the FAA actually specifically identifies um, certain aspects of the rule that they will consider waivers for. So they do a really good job of saying, well, under normal circumstances, we're not going to allow you to do these things. But if you can convince and make a convincing justification as to how you can perform that safely, we might let you do it. 
Oh, cool. So I can take some pictures of the White House. That'd be cool. And that's not going to happen. I know. <laughs> well, I don't think that provision's in the waiver. You know. <laughs> the, uh, I am just joking about it. The, uh, the other things that we're looking at, too, as far as uh, waivers, is say I want to, at night, do some photography or using my UAS, that would, you'd have to do that by waiver because that's not in the rules. I can't actually take pictures or use a UAS from another vehicle in a sparsely populated area at night. Right. So, you know, the night operation provision, I mean, that is a waiverable provision. Under normal circumstances, you couldn't do that. But if you went and submitted for what's called a certificate of waiver under Part 107-205, they can approve that. Interesting. And that waiver process will also, ironically, be included in the small UAS portal that the FAA is uh, planning to roll out. Uh, That's pretty cool. Uh, Also, certain limitations on this aircraft. You have to make sure that you know your limitations on the aircraft you're flying, don't you? Well, obviously, I mean, that would be a, a kind of a, a first step, I would think. Yeah, because that – interesting, the reason I mention that is that in the tests that I took online, they'll discuss things like exceeding angle of attack and bank angles and those type of things. And some people that are flying UAS may not actually know the numbers, you know, when it actually doubles the G-loading, et cetera, and you'll have to know that actually for the test. Well, and of course, that makes sense, Carl, because – quite a few of the operators are not going to previously be certificated pilots. So you're you're really teaching them the basics of aeronautics at the same time. So if I want to start up a business flying a UAS, I want to start taking photography for like a real estate business. I can actually do this under this rule. Anybody can go and do it, right? Well, sort of. So uh, obviously, if you want to start your own business, not only do you have to worry about the rules for satisfying the FAA requirements, but you also have to satisfy your federal and state requirements as well. So, for example, in Florida, registration with the state, the county, providing legal notice of you know establishing a business, obtaining a business license, incorporation if it applies, and you know even an employee ID number filing. So all those things are additional requirements, just like starting any business in the state. You know, for example. Interesting, yeah. And there's, you know, it's interesting. Another thing that's cropped up here, uh, if you're interested in getting into law and aviation law, uh, there's a lot of different law firms. I mean, I, there's one that I go to online that I ask questions, uh, and they have some really cool blogs. There's other ones that are out there that you know about. Uh, but there's there's a whole uh, realm in there about privacy issues, about UAS, and, and protecting yourself. It's probably a good idea if you're going to do something that might be on the edges of the certification rules to consult with an instructor, FAA, and also possibly an attorney. Absolutely. And I mean, especially when you talk about privacy laws, every state is a little bit different. And it honestly, it depends a lot on what the experience of that state has been to UAS. So for example, uh, Colorado, you know, um, they, they have some restrictions out in Colorado. You probably heard in the news that, you know, there were actually people shooting down drones in Colorado that gets a little, by the way, that's not a good idea. Yeah, no, not, not really a good idea. Uh, California ran into some pretty serious trouble. They had wildfires out in California and you, you probably read in the news about, uh, some UAS platforms that had hindered aerial application ops to be able to put out the wildfires. Uh, California has a pretty dim view of operating, uh, drones, especially in the vicinity of emergencies. So every state is starting to adopt rules just a little bit differently. Interesting. And and if you want to know the rules, there's, like I said, go see it. Do you want to mention any attorneys or just look it up online, that type of thing? Uh, well, the two attorneys that are in the state of Florida anyway, there's the Eisen Law Firm. That's Anthony Eisen. You can look him up online. And also Ruprecht Law with Jonathan Ruprecht. Again, this is only the state of Florida. I highly recommend you consult a local attorney for your uh, respective state rules. Interesting. So how, now we know our rules. How about the aircraft? 
Is there anything that they have to comply with with the aircraft? Okay, one big gotcha, and this applies both for hobby and recreational use as well as commercial use, is making sure your aircraft is registered. So this is one of those big gotchas that if you don't do it, there are some pretty serious consequences. So why this uh, registration requirement evolved is we ran into some problems when people are flying these UAS craft. They're of the cost level that they're almost disposable. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, Six or seven hundred dollars, all the way up to several thousand dollars. I mean, it might seem like a lot of money, but you know, if for whatever reason your aircraft falls out of the sky and hits someone's or hurts someone, um, you know, there are a certain number of people that would probably try to walk away from that and just pretend it didn't happen. So, the purpose of registration is holding people accountable to make sure that um, they are trackable. That you know, we understand whose aircraft uh, is is belonging to which operator, and so that's really the purpose that that serves. So, again, if I'm a hobbyist, I can't just go out. I have to register this now. and have to register it. So, so. so I guess the thought that I would have is that this is probably going to put an undue burden on me as a hobbyist. What type of expenses are we talking about? Well, here? I wouldn't call it undue. It, it was a $5 expense to register a, a UAS for hobby and recreational purposes. So not a big burden. But, again, it, it helps to keep everybody safe in the system. Well, that's good to know. I mean, it's, it's still cheap. I can go out there and, and use my, my hobbyist aircraft. I think that's very important. Well, I can tell you it's a lot cheaper than getting the fine. The fine can be up to $27,500 or you know, just a failure to register at all. I mean, it could exceed all the way up to $250,000. So a lot of really big impacts for failing to register. You know, that sounds a little bit extreme, but if you think about the, the safety aspects of this, there are so many, like you said before, so many new uh, UASs out there are drones and hobbyists, and we need to track these because we're seeing more and more drone sightings and quote-unquote near misses, aren't we? Well, and just to put it in perspective, just the danger to the public. So, I mean, operating a drone is an elevated risk. And uh, one example comes to mind. There was a, a woman in Seattle, Washington, that was walking in a parade, and the drone ended up falling out of the sky and hit her in the head, knocked her unconscious. And so um, now you have a, a serious medical injury, and who knows who the pilot could be? I mean, that's, that's something we need to hold pilots and operators responsible for. Yeah, and I know us listening I would probably uh, form their question like I did, thinking about us, the pilots, but there's other people out there who says as pilots, like you just said, there's the public out there. It's really important to understand that you know what we do as pilots and, and what we do as, as operators of these UASs, it's important to keep them safe. You know, Absolutely. People on the ground. That's, that's what most of these rules are for. Yeah, this has been kind of interesting. We talked a little bit about flying for fun and flying for hire uh, and, and obviously flying for education. But... Uh, one thing that I'd love people to have as a takeaway is what to do in the future and why they should consider becoming a UAS pilot, you know, a remote pilot certificate under FAR 107 or under Part 107, I should say, a small UAS operator. And I think it would be really cool because you already have your certificate. It's not that much more work. And you'll learn something about the drones. You'll learn something about the UASs. And you'll understand better uh, the whole process of getting this and the fact that uh, of, of applying for your certificate and operating one of these, that you'll feel more comfortable. You know, you'll feel more comfortable because you know that not just anybody's going to go out there and operate these. Absolutely. And, I mean, the other side of it is this. I mean, it's a unique career, and it requires a very unique set of skills that, generally speaking, uh, are already possessed, at least in the knowledge uh, uh, requirement, by certificated pilots. So, I mean, it makes perfect logical sense 
to add this as a, another method of employment. You know, it's interesting. I know on, on the last episode of Aviation Careers Podcast, I told people to listen to this podcast because we're going to talk about this. Uh, I know we're not talking about just careers alone. We're talking about flying aircraft in general. But there are a ton of opportunities, just like the listener that wrote in to Aviation Careers Podcast said, there are so many opportunities for in education alone to help people learn about flying aircraft because you have to understand the operating rules of airspace. You have to understand how an aircraft operates to fly one of these UASs. So now you can start from there. You can get involved in a school. You can become a commercial operator there. You can start a flight school. You can get involved with a commercial operator, like the writer said, to get involved with a commercial operator and give education to those that are new coming in. Incredible opportunities, I feel. Well, I, I, I like to put it like this, Carl. I think what we're seeing today is a rebirth of aviation. Mm -hmm. It really is like aviation is, to a certain extent, starting over. Because if we look 10 years from now or 20 years from now, it's not going to look the same as it is today. So it's really exciting to be in on the ground floor of that. Yes, it is. It is. Well, Ryan, thanks for doing this. This has been great. Before we go, there's a couple takeaways. Uh, there's certain resources. Uh, this, again, is a, a podcast about flying for fun. It is fun, whether you get paid or not. It's always fun. Uh, but there's all sorts of resources. We're going to have that at stuckmikeavcast.com uh, in this episode. There's a resource for all you users, right, the, the registration system, the UAS system. There's also, for those of us that love to fly for fun, there's uh, other resources that have the advisory circulars, AC9157A, the model aircraft operation standards uh, we also have links to everything the, the app we talked about the before you fly the ama the academy of model aeronautics uh, if you're thinking about flying for money uh, and you're a private pilot and you want to fly for money you want to get involved in this new movement go out there to far uh, 107 to cfr 107 i should say the actual final rule it's on the fa website and also this really good advisory circular that sums up a lot of what we said here and that's the advisory circular 107-2 which talks about all the rules for remote pilot uh, and the process uh, of getting a remote pilot certificate absolutely carl and uh, so, so Ryan, a little bit about, about yourself and, and what you're doing now. Where do you see uh, yourself in the educational environment going in the future in general, not just here at Polk State, but in general as far as UAS is concerned? Well, I tell you what, I, I think that UAS is going to formulate a big part of uh, the future of aviation education in the United States. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet, but it's going to be fun to, it's going to, be fun to follow it and be a part of it, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to be a part of this and the whole, the whole UAS movement. Uh, I know as a pilot, uh, I get a little feedback from, from you, the listener, talking about, well, you know, this is really dangerous. And, and I, I like, well, no, uh, it, it all depends on how we operate those. It's like anything in the world, uh, operating in, in different environments and understanding the risks and understanding how to operate an aircraft is very, very important. Uh, no matter what it is, and uh, no matter what environment we're in, safety is, is the key. We always fly safe first, and then we have fun. I think in this new system, a couple of things that I, I thought were really cool is the fact that if you're not a pilot, they brought into the fold the concept of like CRM that you don't see, uh, you haven't seen anywhere else when we've been discussing UASs. Now it's in there. It's part of the training. Also, when you get your remote pilot certificate, it's not over. You go through some of the same uh, recurrent training that, that we have as pilots. Every 24 months, you have to go through recurrent training online, the FAA safety website, or take the exam. So I'm excited about that, and I think we're going to see more rules in the future, and we're going to see more education. And as this develops, it's going to be a field that many people can get into and make a lifetime at it, of work at it. 
Absolutely, Carl. And I think the FAA's got, uh, they've, they've done a great job thus far. I think there's still more to go, though, in terms of establishing this new group of, of aviators, if you will, um, to be able to generate that positive safety culture, just like we have in the tra- traditional aviation industry. And uh, again, it's going to be a fun, fun time to be a part of that and to help that mentorship process along. Well, I, I, I believe so also, and it's, uh, it really is an exciting time. You know, Ryan, I know you've taken all this time. I'm here at Polk State College in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, since we did take your time away from, from classes, et cetera, and the work you were doing, uh, it's time to plug Polk State and all they've done in aviation. I know they have grown quite a bit. Don't know the actual numbers, but, but what's happening at Polk State? What's new and what's exciting in our future? Well, Carl, that's a great question. We just rolled out uh, one of our new degree programs, the uh, the Aviation Maintenance Administration Associates Degree Program. That's been very exciting. It's re- received a great deal of demand. Uh, this summer, we also had an open house where uh, we blew away all the expectations for the numbers that we received. I think we received over 110 folks at that open house. Um, enrollment is growing. We're, there's a lot of really amazing things going on here at Polk State. And in, uh, just like I mentioned before, it's exciting to be a part of it. You know, it's really got some incredible value for the education, too. This is a state school, isn't it? It is a state school, and uh, we're, we're all about access at Polk State College, and we're opening up aviation to those that may not have the ability otherwise to pursue it. And that's, uh, again, that, that really is a very satisfying part of the job. Yeah, I think it is, and and helping out with the flight team, of course, coaching the flight team here. There's some some wonderful people here, incredible value here at Polk State College. I think everybody should look into it, whether you're getting into aviation as a pilot or you're looking into management or as a a maintenance technician. It's a great place to be. It's a really unique location here in Central Florida. Uh, You have all these incredible air shows. I think there's one here. uh, What's it called? Oh, yeah, Sun and Fun. (laughs) That is once a year. Of course, I'm on Sun and Fun Radio. I love doing that show, but there's, there's so many other resources here i mean what surrounds us you have uh you know the students just went over to jet blue that's one what other ones can you think of here right here on lakeland oh i mean there's so many businesses and we partner with many of them to establish internships uh and so that's that's what's really exciting is just the connection with the local community and how receptive they've been to the college being able to integrate our student learning with uh, the local aviation community you know for some of our listeners it'd be really cool if you if someday you had like an online course that they could do in the future well, of course, we do offer online courses as well, so that's uh, one of the advantages of our program. That's awesome. So if you're listening, you want to get a degree in aeronautical science, and what other online degrees do they have? Right. So we offer uh, a good number of courses in our professional pilot science uh, degree. Unfortunately, you know, the flying does have to be done in person, which makes sense. <laughs> uh, we do also have uh, online options for our aerospace administration degree. And again, we're the only public institution in the state of Florida to offer a bachelor's degree in aerospace. The only public institution, bachelor's in aerospace, an incredible amount of value there. And, and I think that's really important that you said that. Uh, it's, all, it's the first, the, the only in Florida. It's, it's really uh, somebody that, that actually took that and brought it to the forefront is Eric Crump. And I think he did a great job in doing that. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, Eric's leadership, I mean, we are excited to have him because he is truly an asset to our program. Of course, another co-host here at the Stuck Mike Avcast. Um, you know, Ryan, thanks so much for being here. If people are listening right now, if they have questions, of course, they can write into the podcast. Well, for them to Dr. Wallace, if you have questions about this whole process, et cetera, if you want, I'm going to post some things online on my personal uh, Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash Carl Valeri. I'll have pictures of the process and the things that I've done. I'll have some pictures on Stuck Mike Avcast. You can follow what I'm doing to get 
my my UAS, my Part 107s, a remote pilot certificate, it's SUAS, and uh, and you'll see you'll see how easy it is as a pilot. Uh, they can also go and and look online to find out information if they're listening right now about Polk State and what they're doing. Some really cool pictures, and that is at www.polk.edu/aerospace. Polk.edu slash aerospace. Well, that's terrific. I know everybody's going to have a lot of questions about this. And like I said, you can write in here and, and we will, you know, we'll, we'll take those questions. We'll forward them to Ryan or anybody else here. We'll find out the answers to those. It's really something exciting. I know we, we always talk about actually flying the aircraft in this, but we can't ignore UAS. And I know there's a lot of people out there that thought about, hey, I can, I can meld my aviation experience with making money in aviation. There's a great way to do that. It's also a lot of fun. It's, it's a blast, and, and I really encourage everybody to go out there, fasafety.gov, right after this. If you have a pilot certificate, and go ahead, take the course. Take the, the Part uh, 107 course on your uh, small unmanned aircraft system and get your cool diploma, and, uh, and that will count towards some credits, and, uh, and you'll have your small UAS license in no time. Well, this is uh, Carl Valera with the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting here at Polk State College in central, beautiful central Florida and Lakeland, Florida. Again, that's going to be www.polk.edu slash aerospace. Ryan Wallace, Dr. Wallace, once again, thanks for being here. It's been my pleasure, Carl. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ryan Wallace. As a reminder, you can always contact us at uh, stuckmikeavcast.com. Click on the contact page. And uh, if you have any questions about the remote pilot certificate, again, write us at stuckmikeavcast. From us and all the crew at the Stuck Mike Avcast, safe flying. We'll talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Avcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.